Hi, I'm Kat Farrance and I'm founder of Movement for Modern Life. Welcome to Yoga Off the Mat. This is the Movement for Modern Life podcast. And in this podcast, I invite you to join me on a journey to meet the champions of change. These are the most inspiring people I've ever met and they're living a happy, healthy, sustainable life. Hi there. Welcome to this very special edition of the Movement for Modern Life podcast. And I think that this is a really special chat because not only is it with Anna Forrest and Jose Calaco, who are simply amazing people, but also it gives some real insight into yoga as release from emotional trauma and the power of ritual, how we can really enhance our yoga practices. So, Anna Forrest, you may or may not know, well, she is infamous. She is the creatrix of Forest Yoga, which is a very specific and I think very special style of yoga. It's a kind of yoga which is, it's sort of a combination between the precision of Iyengar, the flow of vinyasa, but it includes a lot about emotional release. It includes a lot which which I think is actually like an antidote to modern life because things which we do in modern life, we sort of hunch over the computers, we tense in our jaws. We all, well, a lot of us have a lot of um, tension and anxiety from our sort of overwrought, over busy lives. And forest yoga for me really addresses so many of these things because it is a kind of yoga which focuses on the release of our muscles and the release especially of our neck, of our jaws, whilst we work the um, areas which really um, weaken and atrophy. So forest yoga, an amazing style of yoga and Anna Forest is truly an amazing, a wonderful human being. She's a proper pioneer spirit. In this conversation, we talk about that. We talk about what it is to go against the norms, because of course, as she was setting up forest yoga, she was doing something radical, something amazing, something different. Um, how is it that you can be a good pioneer and question authority and go against prevailing truth? And how is it that we can find our own way? Because, of course, by making her own forest yoga stamp, she really found her way of doing things that worked for her and was able to communicate that so, so well. Um, so this conversation is all about that pioneering, questioning authority, going against prevailing truth and doing the things in life that help us to explore our life path. It's a beautiful conversation. And with Jose, we also talk about the matters of vision quest how music and yoga are really heart-opening practices, the importance of ceremony, and, and the, how emotional trauma does get stuck in our bodies and how we can keep the process of release. Um, so I hope that you find the conversation as interesting as I did. Enjoy. 
Today, I am so, so delighted to be joined by Anna and Jose. And uh, my introduction will have said a little bit about them, but the reason why I'm a little bit thrilled to be back with Anna is because, Anna, you were there right at the very beginning of Movement for Modern Life, and you came along to a London yoga studio, and you were just up for doing whatever filming with, you know, just get on and do it. And you taught me yoga in a way that I've never been taught before. I mean, I was a very sort of rigid, doing the correct thing. And there you were telling me to release and to let go. And I didn't have to hold my neck up and she was holding too much tension. It was really mind-blowing and kind. And thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and it's a, it's a different... Uh different priorities than just a physical alignment, which is, has its importance. Anatomical kinesthetic alignment is important, but the energy that moves through it, the experience in the pose, these are more important. Yeah. Priority. You shifted your priorities that day. I did. And my priorities have never changed since. And I say it's wonderful to be introduced to you as well. You are now integral to the forest yoga experience. Ab absolutely. I, I've been co-director now for seven years. And uh, when I started my journey into yoga, I thought yoga could be so much more. And everything I ever learned as a spiritual teacher in other areas as a teacher of veganism and nutrition, ceremonial teacher, musical teacher, singing coach. Uh, oh, I thought, one day I'm going to bring all this into the yoga room, but first I have to find the right person to do, do it with. And then in February 2014, I was catching an elevator up to the first floor of my yoga school in Sydney, Body, Mind, Life. And as I step into the elevator, there's three women in the elevator. And I look at them and I just thought, are you Anna Forrest? And she says to me, sometimes. <laughs> and I thought, ah, i got a smart ass on my hands. Okay. But what Anna didn't know is I was coming up to the first floor to give her a ceremony, an Aboriginal traditional ceremony. So we we met later and uh, it was a very funny first up meeting with Anna. That's so beautiful. I love how you have managed to integrate your work together so perfectly. Yeah, we love it too. We love it too. It's it's like we're so excited about this, this co-creation that we're doing. So Anna already had a magical brand of yoga, as you, as you know, Kat. Mm -hmm. And after I did the, the course, I just thought, hmm, I would love to get my hands on this course and now give it musical, artistic direction and make it just such a beautiful experience. The way the Australian Aborigines and the Native American people and first people gather together uh they make it they, they in australia they call it a corroboree a spiritual gathering and i thought why don't we make every single yoga class a spiritual 
gathering. After all, people are here to find happiness, right? They're not just here to do the physical workout, although sometimes people are there for that. But from what I could see is people came to yoga to to look for happiness, to, 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 to go into something deeper. So the addition of music, diet, and uh, ceremony just made it just so much more a complete experience. So Anna and I started designing classes just like a really good film script, you know, an exciting beginning, an intriguing midpoint, and a happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) I love that way of describing it. And I love that for you, the yoga class and the yoga experience is about emotions, because that is where yoga has really impacted me in my life. It's really helped me get through some shit, frankly. And I've read your book, Anna, Fierce Medicine, about, you know, how um, you needed the fierce medicine to move you through, to get you through the emotional challenges that you had. And for me, that's sort of the power. That's the power in these very um, spirit-invigorating practices. It really um, moves us emotionally. Yes, it does. And there's, there's hmm, the undercurrent has a few, a few uh, really important aspects. It's like healing is one because we need so much healing. Also, just cleansing and renewing the cell tissue because when you hold on to something... There's a blockage of energy. There's a blockage of blood flow. And then that area begins to age and to rot. Literally, it's called the aging process, but the aging process is not what we think. Well, I can play with that. It's like a lot of times what ages us is the way we think. But we need to, <laughs> like move, we need to move that old archive crappy energy out of us. And then the cells can renew without that burden of toxicity in them. Literally, I mean, that's that's just how we function. And what's so interesting is that our emotions have a chemical component. And so part of what we teach is how to have some responsibility for the chemistry that you run through your bloodstream by tending to updating and clearing out your emotional backlog so that when you respond to the experiences in your life you're responding afresh instead of responding from conditioning or from some experience that happened years and years and years ago which is kind of a uh, disgusting way to respond to something you know like we do that relationship all the time as a man or as a woman we were hurt by one of our multitude of exes and therefore whoever we're with now they have the whole backlog of that dumped on them it's very unfair and it creates such anguish in relationship Mm -hmm. and so learning to clear that becomes our our responsibility once our attention is brought to like hey you can do something about this you can clear this Mm -hmm. so you can have a relationship that's actually in the present instead of two pasts interacting and at war with each other so there's the there's that healing aspect on all these different levels Mm -hmm. there's also the ceremonial vision quest level like what am i questing for in my life and so on the map becomes like your personal vision quest place. Like what's next in my life? What do I want to connect to? What's 
important to me and then to build on that while you're doing your yoga practice. This is a really important aspect for people coming into ceremony or coming into choosing a spiritual way of being is like maybe they'll make a decision like I want to help whatever in the world or I want to connect to my spirit. It's like great but what the fuck are you doing about it? You have to work on it. Just like working on handstand, it takes going up and down hundreds of times. So if you want to connect to your spirit, or if you want to open your heart to love, or if you want to move the rage out of your body, you must take action on a regular basis to do it. And so that's how we we position the class is to be able to do this deeper internal work and you get this wonderful sweat and you get the benefit of a physical workout because we need that our muscles and bones and blood all need that but there's so much more that you get you know the the brainwash the stimulation of your brain also happens which is really exciting like another aspect that i love working with and that jose brings in with his ceremonies and and music is to light up different parts of the brain and to me this is very hopeful about our people is like most of the time when we're functioning in the world we have about two-fifths of our brain lit up you know we we have a access to that much but to me it's like how about if you made it your personal spiritual responsibility to be able to light up your whole brain wow imagine what your resources would be and to make that your intent some of the time when you're doing your yoga is like, I want to light up my brain and use each pose to help me with that. And the music gets into places where words cannot. So I always make sure I compose music, which opens the collective heart in the room. Because once you touch one heart, it opens up many, many hearts. And music and healing has been around for such a long time. And with my people in Australia, the Aboriginal people of Australia, way before there was any medicine, the music was the medicine. The, the shaman would sing into the bones, would sing into the sickness. And the shaman had his hands, his sacred songs and his herbs. And that was the medicine 60,000 years ago when uh, ceremony was born. So, We can always learn from the indigenous peoples of the world to bring in their type of medicine into the yoga room. So, but of course, the physical yoga practice is never enough. And we always tell our students this as well. So we know that the body needs to be moved. The mind needs to be stilled. The emotions need to be expressed and the spirit needs to be nurtured. We always say that because we come in four parts. So that's why we include the dietary aspect, the ceremonial aspect, and we always try to get the students to begin a program of insight outside of the yoga room, and that can be reading, writing, acting, music lessons, vocal lessons, and to build new experiences as new actions will lead ultimately to new experiences because many of the students are tired of the future being made of the same stuff as as the past. But uh, to break that cycle 
we need to bring new action in to create new experience and, and new opportunities. I absolutely love that. I love how you're bringing the process of self-inquiry, but it sounds like it's even more challenging than just a self-inquiry. It sounds like you're also encouraging people just to mix up different aspects of their whole lives. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, change can't happen unless changes are actually made with the person. It is a huge, huge self-inquiry and also to become a critical thinker and to break the pattern of just being consumer conformists just Mm -hmm. on a treadmill to nowhere, like a white middle-class road to nothingness. And uh, Anna and I really, really want to break that cycle because ultimately each person needs to become their own guru. You know, we can point the way, but ultimately... They have to follow their own light sooner or later. You know, like with the vision quest, the medicine person can light the fire, say, here, be on this mountain and draw a circle around yourself and stay in the circle. But then it's up to that person to do their prayers and to do that internal work. Mm. So so a lot of this is about the process of self-responsibility, of taking responsibility, harnessing your own life and taking responsibility for your own energy and for how you feel. Yes, but people misinterpret that and they think like, oh my God, I'm on my own. It's like, no, you're not. Because we are resources. Your teachers are resources. Another friend may have some piece to a puzzle that you need. The interaction is important. That's also how we learn. I want to backtrack just a little bit. It's Mm -hmm. like one of the things we teach people how to do is how to nourish the spirit. Like this is part of what you're responsible for, but also to quest for what, what feeds your spirit, what delights your spirit. You know, so it's like learning and adventures and music, big one. This, these are some of the ways of unfolding different aspects of yourself and of and of taking responsibility for your own evolution, which I think is just the sexiest thing ever. It's like, oh, if I want to evolve, I need to look for what, where I'm drawn to grow and, and, and you then can... start developing that. And so and it's I like to, to consider that, but it's like people need to interact. That's It's part of our nature by sharing information, by sharing our our wisdom, our discoveries, our mistakes. We teach each other. It's like with what's so interesting with the lockdowns that have been happening all over is well, amongst many things that's happening with that, the isolation has been very hurtful because human beings are beings that need to interact. It's just our nature. It's like birds like to be in a flock. Animals that are like to be in a herd or in a pack, you know, it's like it doesn't mean you can't go off and wander on your own. You can and you will. But then you need to come back to your tribe or to your community. It's it's the way we are wired up. And just because there's been these insane rules going on doesn't mean that our wiring really changes with that. It just makes us sicker and more unhappy. And so understanding that some of the wisdom 
treasures that we need to quest for have to do with interacting with each other or meeting together in a class or doing satsang, which translates as hanging out with the wise. Yet we need that. So when we talk about taking responsibility for your own evolution, it doesn't mean you lock yourself in a room with a bunch of books. That's not what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's hanging out with people that stimulate you, provoke your mind to develop and quest into different ways. You know, it's like... Or or to study the eight limbs of yoga, to to not just uh, have the physical practice, to look at all eight limbs of yoga. And that pretty much says that ultimately you're responsible for your own development. But, uh, yeah. yeah, Anna and I uh, make sure we, we don't waste a minute of our precious life anymore, not at our age. So we make sure that every day is full with a yoga practice, delicious lunches, vegan lunches, walks with nature, music, ceremony, singing. We, we don't waste any of our precious life. It, it, it's not worth pissing your life away. And uh, Anna and I have more love for life than we ever have right now. It's yeah. amazing. I, I really want to get an insight into your world. What's your, what are your daily rituals? Because obviously you are ceremonial people. So I should imagine that there's a fair deal of ceremony ritual in your life. How, how does it end up looking? Well, we start every morning <laughs> with a cup of coffee. Uh, we're, we're, we're actually... <laughs> the ceremony. Good ritual. <laughs> well, we're on Orcas Island at the moment, uh, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world, surrounded by nature, surrounded with deers, birds lots uh, of owls lots of owls mm. and trees many, vultures many trees. It, it, it's absolutely and we're on a uh, 30 acres uh, property here mm-hmm. so we begin each day with a coffee and business believe it or not mm-hmm. so uh we're running a business here so uh the same dedication i have to being a a keyboard player, musician, and medicine man, I have that same dedication with the business. I, I don't, I'm not a different person with business. Like a lot of musicians who are drop kicks when it comes to business, <laughs> I'm not like that. So uh, we begin with our business emails, setting our schedules because we have a very busy lifestyle. Mm. Then we do at least a two-hour yoga practice every single day. Then we have a nutritious lunch. Uh, we go for walks uh, in nature. We play piano every day, guitar every day, sing every day, and we're always working on future projects. And then he jumps back onto the emails, or maybe at nighttime that's when he does his Writing. creating new songs or a new poem and so, so there isn't a spare minute, like we don't waste, we are now at the age where there is no more wasted time. You know, we know we have a limited time walking on the earth. There's so many things that Anna and I still need to do and so many courses to write, books to write, music to write. So, yeah, yeah we don't piss away our time anymore. 
we're very constructive and every day is full and rich. There's no time for the blues. There, we have, <laughs> in one of the things you asked about ceremony that we cultivate mm. is like to connect, to make an, a genuine effort to connect to our reverence for life. You know, whether it's watching the little birds climbing up the tree, like we were really marveling at that, like these birds are just vertically hopping up a tree. And it's, it's kind of amazing because we sure couldn't do that. Yeah. You know, and, and to to take those moments, like sometimes when we get our coffee because we go somewhere else to get it, we'll sit mm-hmm. out by the water and watch the crows and the, the seabirds go by and, and just take that moment to absorb the blessing of sunlight and water and, you know, make that moment of connection to nature before we jump into the computer world of emails and writing up syllabuses yeah. and things. And we gaze at the stars and many times late at night uh, playing the piano into the late hours of the night, there's spirits in the room making connection with spirits. Gazing at the stars is amazing here because we have spotted so many UFOs, it's not funny. Yeah. I don't know what sort of UFOs they are, but we, we don't know what they are. We're asking people on the island, what are the moving things in the skies there? Mm-hmm. They can't be satellites. They're too close for satellites. They're too close for satellites. They're too high for drones. And this is nighttime. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we're always looking up at the stars for inspiration, not down at our feet. Mm. Mm, I love that. Being able to be inspired by the natural world is, yeah, it's, that's something that is important to me. I'm a, I'm a nature fan. I, that's where I get my nourishment from. And it's, I, where, and it's where Indigenous people got their inspirations from as well. My people in Australia, the animals were the teachers and inspiration because the animals always worked with the sixth sense. So if you were starving or needed to find water or food, you you travel with the animals because the animals already know. We don't know. So uh, when people say, oh, dumb animals, why should we care for the animals? And that's what they do in Australia because the kangaroo, there's been 90 million kangaroos slaughtered in Australia. And uh, people are just shooting the kangaroos, but the kangaroos, are the indigenous people mm. of Australia and they've been there much longer than people. And we learnt, the Aboriginal people learnt so much from the kangaroo. Uh, the kangaroo was the teacher of the country and now we abuse the the animals. And uh, But anyway, yeah, that connection with nature was critical for indigenous wisdom and teachings. And it still is critical for Anna and I to this day. And that's part of what we teach, too. It's like many of the studies and things that have touched us and helped move us along has to do with these older ways of being in alliance with nature and to actually walk that way. And one of the things that we feel like most of the humans on the planet have lost is this connection, one, to their own spirit, and to to nature and it has made us quite sick and quite insane we're very out of balance and neurotic and the older cultures like the first nation cultures their culture has those teachings has those teachings how to vision quest for what's next in your life 
how to connect to spirit, how to heal, who to go to for healing or to learn what is ever is your next trade or craft or, you know, what, what you're after learning. You know, like if you're wanting to learn how to sing someone well, you, you know, you go and you find someone who knows how to do that. You study. It's like we need we need the wisdom from the First Nation cultures because that's what will help teach us how to come back into balance on this planet so we save the planet. We have we have so many things ripping at us as a society right now. There's all this crazy really weird stuff and the misinformation pouring out is appalling and we need to be able to reconnect but what people seem to be losing sight of is that if we lose our planet we won't have a life we need to tend to our home here tend to our planet and then work out our economy get free out of lockdown and then work from there and we we need we need to regain our life and we've somehow been convinced that our needs our basic needs are not important and we have been fooled and misinformed and because we've also lost the ability to discern the truth it's so confusing and so that's part of what we work with people is like, how do you go inside and begin to discern what's true and what is trash that just needs to be moved out of your mind and out of your body? And indigenous people have warned us for hundreds of years, you destroy nature and you destroy yourself ultimately. Because we were always taught in Aboriginal Australia that the animals were our brothers and sisters And the mountains and rivers were our relations. They're all our relations. And when you just take one thing out, you're taking out many other things. And Australia has an appalling record of destroying uh, its land. And by destroying the land and the habitat of the animals, you are ultimately destroying civilization as well. The Aboriginal people were smart. They knew that the animals and the land were connected. If you take, for instance, the cassowary or the emu out of its environment, then the environment dies because it's supported with one another. If you take the eel and the fish from the waterholes, the waterholes dry up. So they were very, very intelligent. But we seem to intellect has replaced intelligence and heart so we we have a lot to learn from the first nations people still to this day yeah i absolutely agree i think that we are all learners and the more civilized we are the more learning we have to do and the more humble we have to we have to stay with it um, what I'm really fascinated about as well is how this work helps with trauma-informed therapies, because I know that forest yoga and the ceremonies that you do really open people's hearts. They really help some of the, like you were saying before, help people to recover from the um, the blows that we've been dealt with in life. How? What bits of magic, how does that work? Well, as you begin to unload some of the things that has kept you in your 
rigid patterns, then other possibilities open. What I find, like when we're in our talking circles, in our teacher trainings, for example, where people begin to learn how to speak from their heart and speak what's important instead of speaking what's going to be pleasing or, or speaking lies and facades, there is a exposing of deep damage. And then besides that, once people start to get a handle on a little bit of healing and a little bit of genuine interaction with each other, there is a generosity of heart that starts to come up. And that's what we, that's what we nurture is this generosity mm -hmm. of heart where people want to join us on our spirit pledge of doing our part in mending the rainbow hoop of the people, which is what can we do that will contribute to healing in our community, in ourself, in our world. And that, that's what we're training people to do is for yourself and for others, what can you do? And like, for example, in this lockdown, what can you do? People are going back to their drugs, their alcohol, their smoke, their binge eating and watching crap and pardon me, their pornography. And they're just drowning in their own pollution. Well, what can you do in this strange time? So you can start doing yoga. You can start eating cleanly. You can start preparing to walk through this very challenging time is your personal ceremony so that when we come through it, you can be proud of yourself and how you came through it instead of having thrown yourself back 20 years into your own debauchery. Yeah. We always make sure that the class begins with ceremony. So the first thing, the most important thing to start the class is to get people's hearts open and break the walls before the class even starts. So that's my job, coming in with the music and with some spoken word to set up an atmosphere of walls coming down and hearts open. And when that happens, then it, anything is possible once the heart is open. Uh, miracles surround you when the heart is open. And sometimes, you know, words can't do it, so, but a ceremony can certainly do it. And this is what Indigenous people, we create our own ceremonies. These are not Aboriginal ceremonies. They're not Native American ceremonies. I create my own ceremonies. I've traveled the world with Descendants Aboriginal Dance Company. We've been to almost 50 countries. So we've seen the ceremonies of all over the world what works, what doesn't work. And ceremony doesn't belong to First Nations people. Ceremony belongs to anyone who has a creative imagination or can be a musician, a singer. Uh, so we always bring this element into every single yoga class. And this helps like I said before, we touch one heart. And once you've touched one heart and you can see when the hearts are opening, people have tears in their eyes. Then another second heart is infected, third heart. And then all of a sudden, the collective heart in the room is one. And then that's when the magic happens. Then we do the physical yoga practice. 
more music comes later in Savasana, what we, some of the spoken word and music, which was the theme of the beginning of the class, comes back in the middle of the class and ties together at the end of the class, just like a good movie. <laughs> and, yeah, the, what Anna and I do together is, is vastly different to what's happening in yoga today. So I want to explain a different way of working is when we do what people commonly think of like, oh, the asanas or the physical thing, it's like I just want to bring to the forefront of people's minds is like you actually don't even know what physical is. So first let's let's stop discarding the physical as something that you think you know because you actually don't. It's actually part of the great mystery. So just get that much. This is very mysterious and wondrous. So you were talking about when we first met, you learned to let go of your neck and how that changed so many things. So when we have an experience like a car accident or being beaten or something traumatic, it sets up a pattern that gets, unless you deliberately clear it, that gets stuck in your cell tissue and you carry that pattern, especially in your neck, in your jaw, absolutely in your brain and in the part of the brain called amygdala. I love amygdala. Amygdala is so cool. So amygdala holds these senses patterns. And because of the way that humans are, for the most part, the patterns amygdala holds are, you know, when we got hit, when we got hurt, when we got betrayed, when we got left behind because somebody died and it ripped our heart in half. And we set from those patterns and then we live those patterns everything has to come through the pattern and whatever life force comes in has to go through the maze of that pattern you know we're afraid to love because anybody we love will die on us we develop these beliefs based on these experiences and the beliefs are incorrect they are incomplete yes someone you love died it doesn't mean everybody you love will die but our brain makes these patterns of misinformation and it sticks in our musculature. So when you start to deliberately release the patterns, like, like I'm going to let my poor little amygdala dump some of this trash, then the neck releases. When you start releasing the neck, the jaw releases. The brain starts to relax. The rest of the nervous system responds to that. And then you have a chance to make a different patterning, perhaps one based with a, an energy that you want you know, like the energy of your spirit moving through your body or love or kindness or the sweetness of realizing that we live in the great mystery. We do. So bringing in these different patterns. And whenever there, there are things that will trigger our old patterns, like whenever I'm learning something new that I have a belief about, like, like I'm working on learning music and I have these very strong resistances. And so the old stuff comes up, but every time you work it through, the whole weakens and crumbles. It just starts to dissolve more and more. And so like, for instance, there's a part of me that says I can't do this keyboard thing. And yet every time I do keyboard, the old thing crumbles, but it still comes up. So I don't want people to think like, oh, you know, it's coming up. Therefore, I failed in my previous work. It's like, no, this is just what happens when you do something new. Your old bullshit will come up to try to sabotage you and you get a chance to unwind it some more. 
and it will unwind out of your cell tissue, out of your brain, out of your nerves. It unwinds everything every time you work it again. So this is part of what you're doing in the asana practice. The asanas are the road to freedom. Yeah. They 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 can be so amazingly beautiful and you can go into it completely unconscious and fantasizing or thinking 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 about your day or whatever and you still get benefit. But when you take your focus and you bring your laser intent into it to work on these deeper things, it's like, "Oh my god, so many yeah. beautiful changes can happen on levels you had no idea of." Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. So many people rubbish the physical practice you know uh i've been involved in world music for for many many years and i have a lot of indian friends who are gurus at instruments and vocal and tabla and they some of them seem to demean the physical practice oh mm-hmm. no i i don't need that i'm already mm-hmm. in meditation 2 hours mm-hmm. a day but mm-hmm. the body really really needs the movement we have so much cellular cellular memory and mm. the poses literally get into that memory and release that memory all the time so uh, Anna and I the, the physical practice is imperative uh even though a lot of people are oh, it's not not so spiritual the physical practice but it totally is so Anna and I do a, a two-hour practice every single day religiously. And the ba- the body is made to be moved. That's what some people don't understand. They think, oh, like, mm-hmm. I'm a scientist. I'm an intellectual. I don't need that stuff. That's, you know, if you're a physical person, then you're just brainless. And I pride myself on my brain. It's like you're being stupid. You mm-hmm. who pride yourself on your brain, you're being stupid. Study how your, ba- your body has evolved. It must mm-hmm. have movement. That's how it renews itself. That's what yeah. it's. That's how the blood renews itself, and the cell tissue blueprint renews itself. If you do not move the renewal of cells, the blueprint fades. That's that aging process again. So understand this miracle of a body, brain, nervous system, spirit embodied that you live in, and start living from that understanding instead of being rigid and ignorant. What I'm quite interested in here now, obviously you've said so much, which has been, um, which has sparked everything off. But it's that, um, it's that rebellion that you both have. Now, yoga, as uh, you know, as it's always traditionally been done, has actually been a very sort of, um, how do we put it, structured sort of a thing. So when was it, Anna, that you decided that you were going to rip up the rule book and people could actually look down instead of looking up in Trikonasana? And how did that happen? Through pain. Through pain. I I came into yoga with a lot of problems. And some of the problems was I had many, many injuries, being kicked in the head by horses, being beaten by humans, I had migraine headaches more often than I didn't. I was an alcoholic. I smoked incessantly. I came in with a lot of problems and a lot of chronic pain that I lived with all the time. And it was a revelation for me to find how to relieve my own pain. I Mm. began to quest for that. 
And I realized, you know, looking up at the ceiling or looking up at my thumb and triangle or whatever is like, what the fuck for? Why? It makes my neck hurt. When my neck hurts, then my brain goes off. When my brain goes off, then I start vomiting. When I start that process, everything in my body is in absolute agony. Why should I set that whole chain pain off? Because some guy told me that I have to look up at my thumb. It's like, actually, I don't. I don't do well with that. So I I paid attention to what the yoga people that have been doing it longer than me were saying, but I had to sort through it because some of it was just what they were taught without ever examining it. And I was examining everything I was being taught, what works, what doesn't work, and just being willing to throw it away. I don't care if it's been around for thousands of years. It doesn't work for me. I'm not going to waste my time with it. Someone else may, may get benefit out of it, but it's not working for me. And I only want to do and teach what works, though there's always that trial period when you're attempting to learn something new. There's all this fumbling around, right? But that's just the learning process. And any good pioneer will always question authority. And it's the same with ceremonies. People said the ceremony's got to be done like this, like this, like this. Mm -hmm. But when I started having firsthand ex spiritual experiences and dream traveling, I thought, no, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be done like this, like this, like this. Now I'm going to do it like this, like this, like this, because I'm having my own experiences and my own inspirations. And creativity is an open field. And Anna was a pioneer in her field, and she questioned authority. And it, same, a doctor could do the same, a naturopath could do the same. This is the way we grow and develop systems by questioning authority and exploring new possibilities. Mm. So it started out very soon. See, like I had, I had an advantage when I came into yoga, which was I had been training horses, training animals when I came in. And a lot of what I was doing with the horses was taking horses that were uh, problematic and giving them a new way of working. And so some of these horses, they were heartbroken or they were driven insane by their humans. It was the humans doing the damage on these horses. I mean, be very clear about that. And then attempting to bring these horses around to being willing to still be in partnership with humans. Some of them never really made that shift, but most of them did. And in order to do that, I had to work differently than what I was taught, even by my horse trainer, who was a good guy. It was like I had to do something different in order to bring that horse back into its own power and into its generosity of heart to partner with a human being when a human being had wrecked it. And so that work actually ended up informing a lot of my work in yoga and as a yoga teacher, though I didn't recognize it for years. It's like finding out how to bring help the person come back as their authentic self and live in their own body instead of hiding away in some locked up part of their mind or in their belly or something because of their life experiences. And there very rarely is something that is right for all of us. So I teach the vegan diet as part of forest yoga. And people like Anna who have 
allergies to so many things like rice and tofu and soy and all processed foods. Uh, all grain, all beans. All grain, all beans. So wow. there's no diet that's right for everyone and there's no mm. yoga that is right for mm. everyone and it probably applies to most things. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I think... Isn't it having the braveness, having that sort of will that you two both as pioneers have been like, well, yeah, that's what people say, but we'll do something different. And in a way, it's that ability to put your head above what you can see and to say, no, well, let's give this a try, which I think is so admirable. And I do wish that people could do more in this world. Well, there's a there's a balance. It's like respect, but mm -hmm. also respecting yourself to be able to quest for new information and new experiences. Mm. So it's like I have some respect for the people that I learned yoga with for a while up to a point, but then mm -hmm. their rigidity, their, their form, their paradigm, I couldn't fit in. Mm. So I'm not saying these people are all wrong. I learned mm -hmm. until I needed to go out on my own. Or they would say, yeah. you have to do the pose this way, and it consistently tweaked me. It's like, well, this is not correct for me. And to actually trust that the signals I was learning, that it's not correct for me, was correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And it was the same for me in ceremony and in world music. Uh, and I've been involved with the Spanish flamenco gypsy community, the Aboriginal community, the Indian community. I've been involved with so many communities and there comes a period where you learn the structure and the basis. And once you have the foundation teachings there, then you can make, uh, then you're free to explore other possibilities, but you must first understand the foundation of what you're working with. And, for me, I learned the ceremonial aspect and then was able to make the changes. Like one of the things I find very interesting about our, our minds is we talk about, you know, okay, question authority, but that doesn't mean we want you arguing with us in teacher training. Honestly, it's like, look, we have a lot of information to get through. So stop arguing for your neurosis because we can honor, support, respect you, but we have zero respect for your craziness and your neurosis. We're not going to indulge it. Yeah. We're not it. going to indulge it. So learn this, experiment with it, and recognize when your internal bully or your neurosis is trying to get you to justify not learning this. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. that's what well, will happen. That's what our minds do. Mm. It Go was... Ahead. Yeah, no, no... I, I know where you're going. Oh, yeah. One one great example of this is when I was involved with the flamenco community, and flamenco is one of my dearest art forms. I absolutely adore it. And I started my own company called Flamenco Dreaming, and I started incorporating didgeridoo and saxophone and piano and all these things, and I began creating storylines and putting in a few new moves. And when the traditionalists saw 
what I was doing with flamenco. Oh, Jose is bastardizing it. He's watering it down. But actually, what I was doing was evolving it. And what became uh, experiment, experiment, you need to experiment uh, because you're never going to grow anything unless you experiment with it. So when you know the foundation, now then is the time to experiment with it. And then in the coming years after that, flamenco just blew wide open apart. And then all of a sudden, jazz and flamenco and Native Amer- American and flamenco, Aboriginal and flamenco and this. But it needed a pioneer to say, why don't we try that? Why don't we try the Indian musicians and the Aboriginal musicians within this format? It's not such a crazy idea. All we need to do is understand each other's time signatures and maybe something could happen. And what happened was pure magic. My show Mm -hmm. Flamenco Dreaming went on to be a hit. uh, And uh, then everybody started copying fusion world music. And this was the birth of world music and fusion of world music. That's just one example. I did the same with my Aboriginal dance company. I did the same with my, as a vegan chef. And then I did the same with yoga, just bringing in new ideas uh, that were out of the box. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to re- revolutionize music, dance, and yoga because I'm not coming from within the system. I'm coming without, uh, I'm bringing in radical, free, mind, pliable thinking into these forms. I'll give you an, a, a different example so, so people listening can, can wrap their mind around mm-hmm. this. Jose is a vegan chef and a magnificent one. Like what he, he makes is nutritious and utterly delicious and satiates your the senses in a wonderful way. And one of the things that I learned from him being his sous chef for seven years is <laughs> when we steam food, we dress up the steaming food and the, I'm not, I'm I'm not a good cook and I was not a a good cook before, but it blew my mind. It's like, you want me to put spices on the cauliflower while it's steaming? That's brilliant. And I never, ever came across that. So we put all these beautiful spices on the food and then steam it. And then it steams it in. And so instead of it just tasting like some like wet cooked cauliflower it's got these wonderful spices in it that make it utterly delicious and its nutritional value is even upped by the things that we put on it and i cook with about 50 60 different spices the only thing i'll never use is onions or garlic which is against the forest yoga principle of eating stink foods spiritual teachers that smell and have (laughs) bad breath but i use 50 or 60 different spices My mother, who was a fantastic traditional South Italian cook, uh, whenever I cooked for her, I I did all the Italian standards, but I broke every rule. And my mother, no, no, son, no, no, you can't use sweet potato in a lasagna. You can't use that in a lasagna. No, you cannot do, you cannot use vegan cheese. So my mum was quite upset that I broke all the rules as a vegan chef. But I never used a cookbook ever in my life. I I just uh, created things from scratch. Again, 
I understood the art of cooking and then created my own cooking, just like I did with ceremonies, music, and and all the fields I entered. Uh, I came into the fields uh, not wanting to change them, but thought, wow, this art form is fantastic. But you could still get what makes it great and, and augment that without taking away the magic of it, augmenting it and coming up with something else. And this is how evolution happens. But I also want to bring in another point. I'm going to go off of food for a moment and back into the yoga practice. So we have people that come and work with us from all sorts of different disciplines. And what can happen that sort of screws things up is people come in, they take our workshop or whatever they did, they get all mm-hmm. excited, and then they try to teach it. It's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, you don't know what you're doing. You need to practice this. You need to work with us lots so you have a deep, innate understanding of it. Take our teacher training so you know how to teach it. Because it's actually quite disrespectful to not know what you're doing and inflict that on your people and then say, oh, this is forest yoga. It's like, no, it's not. It is your lack of understanding of forest yoga that you're passing on to people. So don't do it that way. Be respectful. Learn it. And how do you learn it? By practicing, practicing, practicing it a lot. So that it becomes more than an intellectual understanding. It is a deep, innate wisdom. And then from that place you teach. Yeah. I, I think that's that's got to be right. And um, certainly when I'm interviewing teachers and talking to teachers about, um, you know, whether they'll be teaching on Movement for Modern Life, the thing that I most am always asking them is, what is your practice? you know where have they come from because it's the teachers who say oh i don't have time to practice you just think well how can you teach then yeah (laughs) Yeah. really interesting like there's a there's a place i think every yoga teacher has to come to this difficulty of Mm. when you first start teaching there's this whole scrambling of like having to teach and teach and teach one to gain experience but also to support yourself because mm-hmm. it, at first, when you're first teaching, you don't make much money. That's just the truth of yeah. it. And so when you finally start succeeding and your classes are filling up, you're so used to scrambling to teach as much as possible that it's really easy to put your own practice as secondary. And that is a major mistake. Because exactly. that, what will happen is your teaching will get stale. You will burn mm-hmm. out. And you'll also begin to resent your students because they're getting to do class or you're not. And then people Mm -hmm. will think, well, I'll do the poses with them. It's like, no, you're not actually there Mm -hmm. to do the poses. You're there to teach. You need to Mm -hmm. practice, get your own high-quality attention on yourself and your own needs, and then bring that enlivened state into your teaching. And so Mm -hmm. it needs to be what I had to do, because I found that my business would just run right over my life if I didn't do something about Mm -hmm. it, is I had to schedule in my practice time. And I found when I had a yoga center is I could not practice at my own yoga center because my manager and the other teachers there couldn't help themselves. They had to come in and ask me questions. They knew I was in that room. Therefore, the business problems or whatever their problem was, it's like, oh, it's okay. I can just ask this one thing. And it would ruin my practice. So I had to schedule. I had this lovely little yoga center and I had to schedule my own practice over at my friend's house so that nobody could interfere with it. And so it's like to honor your practice more than 
a private class or a yeah. class that you have scheduled. It's like you pick the same time of day. It makes it easier if you do this. You schedule it in every day. And that time is untouchable. Mm-hmm. It's just like if you put in your private session there or if you were expected to show up at your yoga center there, it's untouchable. If someone wants mm-hmm. to go to dinner or if somebody is sick or whatever the case may be, that time is already booked. So you make yeah. your yoga time already booked. And I I know people and I know how their mind justifies like, oh, I, I couldn't this and I can't that and I have a child and I have a this and I have a that. And mm-hmm. it's like, you have a body, you have a soul, be responsible to it. And then everything else you do will benefit from that. Everything. Mm-hmm. You must honor your own practice. Or you mm-hmm. will end up sabotaging yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's really beautiful. And it, sorry, it, it, it's a great reminder for people because often in this world, there's a lot of seeking comfort. But actually just getting back to that discipline and saying to yourself, I will do my practice. And, and, you know, I guess a lot of people who say, oh, I can't practice on lo- online because I don't have discipline, as if discipline is something that you're born with or not. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, the, the roots of the word discipline is to learn. So now we don't have the luxury of going to a yoga center and getting to be with a group mm-hmm. of people, which uplifts the energy and having somebody yeah. teach us that way. But most humans nowadays are always staring at their phone or staring at their devices somehow. So it's like, hey, you're you're in the device all the time anyway. So of course you can practice with your device. Of course you can. You're you're hanging out with it anyways. Hmm. Do something useful. And it, yeah, I want to come back to this lockdown time and and how yes. not to use this time. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people are are indulging their neurosis and their despair. Like, oh, I'm just going to relax and, you know, forget about it and hang out on the couch and eat cookies. It's like, well, that's going to make you feel like shit. Is that really the outcome you want? You have a few minutes of pleasure by stimulating your taste buds and whacking yourself out on sugar. And then you feel horrible for hours and you gain weight and then you get ashamed of yourself. Look at the outcome. Put the action and consequence together together. And start doing actions that make you proud of yourself. That's so cool when you do that. And it does take discipline to do two hours of yoga each class. Because after doing four hours of email, I just go straight from email straight to the yoga mat and think, oh, I I would love just to lay down and do nothing. But every day, two hours of yoga practice, two hours of music practice, taking the time to cook nutritious vegan uh, lunches and going for walks. So Mm -hmm. to have every day full of spiritual beauty takes discipline because it's so easy just to sit down with your phone and and scroll Mm -hmm. through the meaningless social media. Mm -hmm. But, uh, But discipline is something that you grow just like anything else. So sometimes with people that are having trouble with their practice, it's like, well, can you commit to 30 minutes? Can you start with doing 30 minutes a day? And mm-hmm. even if your mind's driving you crazy while you're on the mat, do it anyways. Your mind won't drive you crazy as long as you are doing things that nurture your well-being. So while you're doing yoga, doing your music practice, the bully in the mind will leave you alone because you are actually creating paths to happiness 
you know, happiness just doesn't happen with a click of the fingers. There is paths to happiness and yoga and music and walking and nutrition. These are all paths to happiness. So there's no time for depression uh, because we are always creating paths where we are watering the garden of our dreams. And our dreams are yoga and music and all the things that we should be doing, we are doing, and we be, we get a pit. Thank you, Kat. Stop procrastinating and do Ciao Bella uh-huh. supposed to be doing. That's how to find one form of inner peace. And when I was saying at the beginning of our discussion here about patterns and the amygdala, this is mm-hmm. how you re-paradigm the amygdala is by doing these these things that feed your life force, that help you unfold, that give you the sacred arena for exploring what's next and what do you want to develop. This changes your brain, literally. I think that's really exciting. I just get I just get like wow. <laughs> well it is. It is. It's truly exciting because it just shows the amount of potential that each of us have every single day for not only living our yoga on the mat, which as you say is important and feels magical, but takes it off the mat and takes that whole experience into your everyday life. And that that is my passion. That's what it's about for me. It's not for me necessarily about what shapes I can or can't make. It's yeah. how that feeling can be expressed in the rest of my life. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Even asking the question, what, what kind of a person do I want to grow into? And to begin to ponder that and then taking the action steps that will lead to that. You know, if I want to learn how to play music, I have to practice. I have to practice. I can't just all of a sudden, boom, create some musical piece. I have to learn the steps of music. And that's how our life is too. If we want to develop into an evolved person, then we need to evolve. Yeah. We have to yeah. steps to evolve ourselves. Wow. I absolutely. Well, I really hope that this has inspired people to look to find that inspiration to where we're going to evolve ourselves next. I want to be respectful of both of your time. I'm really, really so grateful to you both for joining. We should mention the chair. Yeah, it's really, really wonderful. And people that can't see us physically, we have a yoga channel at Forest, mm-hmm. forestyoga.com. Uh, Forest is spelled with a double R, uh, not one mm-hmm. R. And uh, we have a wonderful uh, yoga channel. And the yoga channel also does include ceremonial aspects as well. Wonderful. So people can find out about that. Yeah. And and on social media, how can people find you both? Uh, Forest.yoga. Everything is on our website, our music, our ceremonies, our online channel. Everything is at forest.yoga. Great, great. Well, I'm sure that people are going to be inundated with like all of the ceremonies, all the practices, because there's so much there. There's so much inspiration to be had. I know that everyone will really love that. So thank you. Thank you for providing that. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. 
I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I found it just so fascinating to think of the yoga class as a spiritual gathering and the mat as a vision quest. It so appeals to me because I'm always looking for ways that we can find find our ways in the world, find what what our true path is and um that that conversation really really resonated with me i hope it did with you so do find out more about them um they have their um forest yoga online yoga channel but of course at movementformodernlife.com you will be able to see within the styles forest yoga and also you'll see that we have a couple of classes with anna herself so if you see guest teachers anna forest she's got a really lovely um releasing short practice in there and that was with me it was where i was the stooge the student for that class and that was now eight years ago so it was sort of the beginning of my movement for modern life journey and it was the first the introduction to me the first time that i discovered forest yoga so that's a pretty neat way of discovering forest i really really hope that you try it out just enjoy it see see if it is for you and let us know um you can subscribe to movement for modern life of course um but these podcasts in any of the the apps the normal places that you find it please do go to movementformodernlife.com and you can get your free trial right there so you get free 14 day trial um for new users and i really hope that you enjoy our forest yoga classes as well as so many other styles of yoga which i have enjoyed and continue to enjoy over the years um and do let us know if you enjoy this by you can comment on our blog so if you go to movement for modern life and you'll see our blogs it would be great to hear your comments and thoughts on this and if you are a subscriber you get membership of our special movers group where we can all keep each other accountable and ask questions of teachers and it'd be again great to hear your thoughts on the movers group so with no further ado i really appreciate your time and i so appreciate your support for the movement without you we are not here so thank you very much indeed take care